Palm Sunday didn't exist until Christ. A lot of the holidays that we celebrate are connected to Jewish feasts. Pentecost was a Jewish feast. Um, Passover was, was now we call the day after Passover Good Friday. We celebrate Passover as the Monday, Thursday foot washing. We, um, uh, three days after the Passover is when Jesus rose on the first day of the week on Easter. So a lot of the Jewish holidays are now connected and to, um, or a lot of the Christian holidays are connected to Jewish holidays. Palm Sunday was not necessarily a holiday. It was the, the Sunday before the Passover feast. Now, as a Jewish man and even family, you would go to Jerusalem if you, if you could three times a year and for the three, three different feasts and um, Passover being one of them. And so people would flood to Jerusalem to worship, to sacrifice on the Passover. And we've got to think, remember Exodus in, in the Passover, the first Passover. And remember, the, remember what Passover was. It was when the death angel passed over the house of those who had the blood on the lentil, okay, back in Exodus. So Passover, we say it is, is just this term. Don't forget that it was represented when the plagues were coming into Egypt. Now, I'm going to stop real quick here, and I'm going to watch the time. This isn't a myth. These aren't fairy tales. There's an entire nation that shouldn't even exist anymore, by all counts. I mean, most nations, especially the smaller nations, would have been obliterated. How many Babylonians do you know? Right? It's gone, right? They, they've been merged into other cultures, but the Jewish culture is still there, and they still celebrate this myth of Passover? No, this is history. This is their history, and they celebrate their history. For us, we're so far away, we forget that. That's one of the reasons I really want to go to Israel, to walk in the places that, they, that existed, we read about. And so Passover happened, and God says, I'm going to bring the curse, and the firstborn is going to die. But those of you who roast a lamb, kill a lamb, put the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb, Jesus is our lamb, on the, on the doorpost, on lentil. And when the death angel comes across, he sees the blood of the lamb covering the house, he will not destroy the firstborn. That's also when they made the, the cake out of without leaven, the, the bread without leaven, because they were going to have to leave in a hurry, because as soon as this, this plague came, they were going to get released, and they were going to have to boogie and get out of Egypt, because God knew that Pharaoh wasn't going to relent for very long, and he didn't. So they made the, the bread without leaven, they, they killed the lamb, but one of the requirements was that there can't be any lamb left over until the next day. So if you have a smaller group of people, then get enough people for your lamb to be, to be slaughtered. So... Josephus, the historian, was saying, you know, that, that in the time of Christ, that there was probably going to be about 10 people per lamb, you know, and maybe more, 10 to 20 people would be sharing a lamb. Now, he says, and we're not sure if, if he's accurate in this, but on one of the Passovers, right around 30 AD, when he was doing a historical account, according to Josephus, now not everyone agrees with him, they slaughtered. 200, more than 200,000 lambs for the Passover. Now, and they would, they, they would go to the, the, they have the lamb slaughtered even at the, at the temple, and then they would give the lamb back to the family, okay? Well, if it was a minimum of 10 people, 200,000 lambs is about 2 million people could have been in Jerusalem 
for these high holy days. Jerusalem is less than one square mile. That's our village. I mean, that's like, like not much more than just a village. You know, we can get a, a mile. Maybe from, from Pine Knot down to Summit Boulevard is real close to a mile. So, and then a mile. I mean, it's, that's a decent area. That's, 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 and it's actually about 0.7, but, but we'll call it a mile. Two million people. Average attend, uh, 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 residents in Jerusalem about that time, probably about 60,000. Now, we, we know what a ski weekend is like up here. Okay, man, or oh me. Uh, we have about 25,000, 30,000 people live in Big Bear, and on a busy weekend, 100 to 200,000 people. So Josephus is putting this at 2 million. Other people say as low as 250,000. There's nobody who said less than 250,000 people were coming to Jerusalem for this event. So we'll take whatever number you want. On a busy weekend, estimates say 100,000 visitors come to Big Bear. And that's over 10 miles from Boulder Bay to the church. I used to live in Boulder Bay. It was 10 miles from that side to this side. And we know that we've got a decent depth of maybe three or four miles. So we're talking 40 square miles, and we still don't want to go to Stater Brothers on a, on a holiday weekend. <laughs> How about shrinking that size down? You know, back in the day when we first moved up here on a busy weekends and maybe go to Community Market or something, or not Community Market, Eminger's. We used to shop at Eminger's. Anyone else used to shop at Eminger's? <laughs> Before it was a nursery. It was a grocery store right where Taco Bell is. Anyways, we're going to move on. That's not very spiritual. <laughs> Stuff all these people right into this area, and it was crowded. And so John chapter 12, and I'm all over this morning, so I've got, I should have put in papers in, but let's go to John chapter 12. Father, as we get into the word this morning and into what's happening, pray your blessing and anointing. God, I'm excited about this, so help me not to get too sidetracked. In Jesus' name, amen. Start in, in, in John chapter 12, which um, if, you're, if you are taking notes or for those who are listening, everyone say hello to those that are listening to the, the message this morning. John 12, Luke 19, Matthew 21, Mark 11. I'll do that one more time. John chapter 12, Luke chapter 19, Matthew chapter 21, and Mark chapter 11 are all the chapters on the tr what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus, the Passover entry. And so in John chapter 12, the very first verse talks about six days before the Passover that Jesus was anointed in Bethany. He was at the house of Lazarus, and, and I'm not going to get into something that could, that could throw us off. And so, and then in starting in verse 12, starting in verse 12, it says the next day. Okay, so five days before the Passover, understanding that the way Jews do their days, I'm still not exactly clear, clear on everything, but they count the day that they're talking about and the other day that they're talking about, and so often there's only three days in between. You know, if we say five days ago, I'm probably talking last Tuesday or, or you know, Tuesday. But for them, five days, five days from Sunday is Thursday. You know, so they're going to be a day, a day off of, of the way we count it at least. Okay, that's why there's some, when we're reading things, you go, wow, the, day, the timing doesn't make sense. We have to understand the, the, the Eastern way of doing things. Plus, their day started at 6 o'clock in the evening at sundown, and it went to sundown. So the, a, a Jewish day starts at sundown. That's why everything at the cross had to be done before the sundown of the Passover, which started about 6 o'clock. Okay? Kind of clear as mud? There's some great information online. You can, can read, read that. So, so anyways, this would have been Sunday before the Passover. And it says, the next day, see, Marilyn, i got to take off my glasses to read. <clears throat> 
a great multitude had come to the feast. Let's just call it 250,000 people. That's enough. Two million, that even, that seems maybe too much for even my imagination, unless it's like Woodstock. Um, a great multitude had come to the feast, when, and then they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So now not all of this great multitude really gave a hoot about Jesus. They, they, he wasn't that well known yet. And in fact, he becomes much more known through the work of the disciples. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But his, his fame was growing, and he was becoming known as a prophet and a teacher and a rabbi. And so those that had been hearing about him, we knew, we know that there was the 12, there was the 70, there was the 120, there was the 500, and then there was the 5,000. I mean, we know thousands of people were familiar with Jesus and his teachings. So he had a following. And it says that on, the, a great multitude was in Jerusalem for the feast, and they knew that Jesus was going to be coming into Jerusalem, and so they began to rip off the branches, and they throw them on the, on the thing. This is, this is big news, because the reason that they're doing this. Now, the whole th understanding of triumphal entry and what the Jews wanted, they were under the Roman control. They wanted a king. They had been waiting for their Messiah for hundreds of years. They were waiting for somebody in the line of King David to finally come and take them back and get them out of captivity, out of the control of Rome before it was Babylon. But, you know, they were, they'd been in captivity so many times. Right now, they're living at least in Jerusalem, but they're still under Roman rule, and so they're really wanting to be freed from Rome. And here comes Jesus of the line of David, fulfilling some of the prophecies. They, they're even putting these things together, and they're going, that's the guy. He's going to come, and he's going to become the king. And so they start this fanfare and this procession, throwing the palm branches down, taking off their cloaks, putting their, making the donkey comfortable. The donkey had never been ridden on, and Jesus comes riding in. Well, here's one, some, one of the issues. There's a lot of issues with this scene. When a king was going to come in to conquer, he would ride a horse. Grace said, not a, he would ride a stallion. He would ride a war horse and he would come in and his people would come in and they would take the city. And often, if they came in a big enough force, if you come into a city, it's pretty much yours. Usually the fight happens outside of the city. If you make it to the city with, our, with your people, it's over. And so they're going, yes, Jesus is here. He's in the city. We're going to rally around him. We've got enough people. We've got a quarter million people. If we can do this, let's fight. Let's take the city and get it back. But Jesus didn't come on a stallion. He came on a, on a donkey. So, so what's the significance of that? We think, oh, yeah, these donkeys, they get in my trash. And, you know, a donkey or a colt, you would, when a king was, was going to go make peace with somebody, often because they went, I cannot fight that army too big. But when they're going to go and if they're going to go try to make a delegation of peace first, they would ride on a donkey. And so when they saw the king coming on a donkey from far off, they knew, okay, guys, we don't have to get into battle yet. They're going to try to make a peace offering with us. They're coming in peace. And so they wouldn't fight, and they would, then they would make their peace negotiations. Jesus comes in to make peace with Rome? No. Rome, Rome had taken them. They, they, they were still under restriction. And so the people, I think, are already confused, but they're, they're going, okay, well, he's coming. Let's see what happens. And... They have their ideas what they want, and Jesus comes in. It's so important. I encourage you guys to read 
um, especially Luke. I think Luke would be a, a great one. Read a couple chapters before the triumphal entry, read a couple chapters after. But even in John, um, you're, you're seeing that he makes his triumphal entry, and then a whole bunch of things happen. He does a lot of teaching. He teaches disciples after he goes in on the triumphal entry. And so he's trying to help them understand, listen, trials and tribulations, some of these things he talks about, trials and tribulations are coming. The end is coming. Things are going to get bad. That's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear victory speeches. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of on that, that final run and, and the president's running or whatever, and, and you know, maybe they, they've been elected, and then they, their very first speech is, guys, we're in trouble. That's not what you want to hear from the, the newly elected president. You, you know, I mean, even though they're going to lie to you anyways, they're going to tell you at least want to, that you want to hear them say that things are good. And so Jesus spends his time because he's really trying to help prepare the disciples to be ready. Luke chapter 19. Another place of the triumphal entry. After coming in down at verse 41, Jesus goes, and, and this is a very famous, very famous part, he weeps, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Because God's heart is for Israel. God's heart is for Jerusalem, and he sees what's coming, the destruction that's coming, and he, he even prophesies that in, in what's going to happen in 70 A.D., and he, and he weeps over Jerusalem. And he, and he begins to get questioned in, in chapter 20. And, and then he begins to talk about, in chapter 20, that's why I say I encourage you to read uh, Luke, uh, Luke 19, 20, 21. He starts having all these parables of the vine dressers. And um, he t tells the stories of when, when they would, uh, he, the uh, owner of the property would go away and he came back and would try to get the fruits and they didn't want to give it to him. And he's trying to connect saying, you know, basically God is going to come back and the world's not going to receive him. And even if they send the son of man, parable, they're going to kill him because they don't want to be under the rule of the master. They don't want to be under the rule of the master. They, we, they say they do because they want all the good things that come from the master. I'm talking about King Jesus here. This message this morning was really wrestling with, with titles. What do we really want from the king? I remember the Christmas song. Um, I believe it's called, what, what Could You Bring to the King? What can you bring to the king? And, and, and this is the opposite. What can I get from the king? See, the people wanted something specific from King Jesus. They wanted something from him. They wanted him to be the conquering king. He was a king, but he didn't come to be the conquering king, not in the way they thought. They wanted him to come and be the warrior king. Well, he is a warrior, but that's not what he came to do in that moment. Not the way that they wanted. He didn't come in by force. In fact, King Jesus came and really wanted to come in by an election. Not to uh, elect him king, but to elect to serve the king. 
He was looking for people to voluntarily serve this king in everything that he came to represent. Now, when Jesus came, he did bring things. He offers us much. And today, as we're thinking about receiving King Jesus, I want to start with all the things that Jesus does offer, or just some of them. I, can't, I, I, I thought I can't go too far. Let me just talk about a few things that he comes when he offers. When King Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, when King Jesus is coming into your life, he offers you peace. He came to give us peace. Ephesians 2.14 says that he is our peace. In John, he says, I am peace. It says, John 14.27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He came to bring us peace. He came to bring us peace of heart. He didn't, know, he didn't actually come to bring us peace in every relationship that we have. But He came to give us an inner peace. John 16, is a great, great scripture here. Because it says, I say these things that you may have peace. Oh, good. Who wants peace this morning? Amen. I want peace. But then he, then he keeps going on and it gets confusing because he says, in this world you will have trouble. I've come to give you peace, but you're going to have trouble. Sounds like he's contradicting himself, but he's not. I've come to give you peace, but in this world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What's he saying? The peace I'm giving to you isn't peace in all your relationships. It's not everybody hold hands and sing kumbaya together. That's not it. I've come to give you an inner peace. I am your peace. And you're going to go through troubles, but if you hang on to me, in the midst of your troubles, you will have peace. I need that. I need that. He came to bring us peace. He came to bring us life. Came to give us life. Now, not our Western mentality thinking of, man, that would be the good life. Just come more money, a bigger house, a better car. Now I'm living the good life, right? Uh-uh. That's not why he came. He didn't give, come to give us the good life. He came to give us real life. John 10.10 10 says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Well, you know, up until the 19th century, I mean, nobody had a good life. <laughs> I mean, there were, there were very few people in the world had a good life. He wasn't talking about a nice home or comfort or, lack, you know, not having to work very hard so that you could have a lot of things. But yet, 2,000 years ago, and for 2,000 years where people have had to work hard for what they've had and they were living in war and f even famine at times, he says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. What's he talking about? He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about a peaceful life. He's talking about knowing who we are in Christ and having hope for a future. He's having that as full life. He came to bring life because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How is your life? You know, honestly, when I get my eyes off of Jesus, my life is bad. When I get my eyes back on Jesus, my circumstances don't always change. 
but my life gets better. My life is better because there's something that he's bringing to me. Not, not always. Now, praise the Lord. Sometimes he changes our circumstances. I mean, he does. He's sovereign that way. And, 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 but we can't say that if you do certain things that you're going to get the things that you want. But for some reason, sometimes God says, you know, I'm going to change your circumstances. I'm going to get you out of the circumstances. Other times, all he says is, I'm going to walk with you through your circumstances and you're going to have life and you're going to have peace and you're going to have hope because I've come that you may have life and life to the full. He came to give us peace. He came to give us life. He came uh, to be our healer. And yet people die. This morning we need to be praying for Robin Rogers again. She's in the, she's in the hospital. She's in the, down the hill. She's been transported down the hill. Um, she's waiting for emer emergency surgery. Uh, they believe it's from a kid kidney stone. Did it happen yet? Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay. I was hoping that they would do that. The, she has a, I don't think she, you know, she, she's pretty open. She has a three centimeter kidney stone. Okay, give an idea of how big that is. Take 30 dimes and stack them up and make it all pokey. And that's about 33 centimeters. That's about, because a, a dime is about a millimeter, I think. I'm kind of looking at gray, but that's big. And it's painful. I had a six millimeter kidney stone this year. No fun. We want to pray. You can't pass that, and so that's why it's got to be surgery. And, and, but she's been waiting to go into surgery, and she's supposed to do that on Monday, so be praying for her. Yet Christ came to be our healer. Now, sometimes he heals on the spot. I've seen miraculous healings. We've heard of them. We know that they happen. I've, I, we're not questioning that, but yet not everyone always gets healed when we pray. Now, sometimes is it from lack of faith? Yeah, maybe. Is sometimes it because the person's living in sin and they're not receiving the healing? Yeah. But there's other times it's just for whatever reason, God is saying, I'm, I'm not bringing the healing today. But yet he came to be our healer. One of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha, God, our healer. We look to him to be our healer. But the bigger healing than a physical healing is a spiritual healing. When it comes to bring life to our dead souls and he heals us, a bigger healing than a physical healing is an emotional healing. I've met people who've gone through atrocities. I mean, just horrible things in their life emotionally. And by all accounts, they should just be a blithering idiot in the corner because they've been abused so bad. And yet God has come and healed their heart and healed their mind. And he's become the healer. He's come to be our physical healer. Yes, he's also come to be our spiritual healer and our emotional and mental healer. He is the healer of broken hearts, the healer of diseases. Isaiah 53 is true. It says, by his stripes, we are healed. And so we always go to him and we pray for everybody who's sick because the Bible says to do so. But sometimes we don't see a healing, but we, we continue to pray because he's our healer. We know that he came to heal people. We think of blind Bartimaeus and the ten lepers and and the, the paralytic, and we go on and on and think about all the people that he healed. You know what we don't think about very often is all the people that he didn't heal. The guy by the pool of Siloam could not get into the water. Why? 
because there was always people pushing him out of the way who got into the water first. Jesus came and healed one of them. And he left all the other guys by the pool sick. Is it because he's, un he's not compassionate? No, because God has a different plan for different healings. But we trust him and we go to him. Jesus, I want to see. We cry out and we ask because he is our healer. He's also come to be our peace, our life, our healer. He came to be a deliverer. Go back to John. Chapter 5 this time. I want to read a passage. This is the most important way that he's come to be our deliverer. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, he has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. He delivers us from death into life. All of us are born with a sin nature. And all of us are born into death. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to help them pass from death into life. I'm going to deliver them from death to life. He's our deliverer. We don't, we don't stand under judgment. We don't have an expectation of hell or an expectation to not be with Christ because He's delivered us. If we've believed in Him and trusted in Him, then He is our deliverer. Colossians 1.13 says that He has not just delivered us from death to hell, but He's also delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He takes us spiritually and says, you're part of the kingdom of darkness. You don't even have an option to sin. You don't even have a choice in the matter. You're going to sin. I'm going to deliver you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of His love where we can actually begin to choose life and we're not a slave to sin any longer. And He delivers us from a life of no choice to being actually free from the bondage of sin. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says that He delivers us from wrath. You ever been under somebody's wrath? You know, maybe it's the last time you, you go to the principal's office or your parents' house, even just their wrath. It's wonderful to be delivered from the wrath, especially of God. We don't, we don't hear enough good sermons about the wrath of God because we have a kinder, gentler God doesn't have wrath anymore. No, his wrath is being stored up. And I don't want to be around when that wrath is poured out. Read Revelation. Read Re Revelation should scare us into going, I don't want to ever be under the wrath of God. And we're not because 1 Thessalonians says that he's delivered us from wrath. Jesus went into the Gadarenes. He comes off the boat and this naked demoniac comes up and he couldn't even be chained up because he was possessed. And Jesus set him free. Jesus has come to deliver us from demon possession, from demon oppression. He's, de he's delivering us from wrath. He's delivering us from death to life. He's the deliverer. He delivers us from our slavery, slave to sin, slave to fear, slave to regret, slave to, slave to. So many of us are still in slavery, and He was come, and He wants to deliver us all and help us to be free. Who is found any freedom, any freedom in Christ. I can, raise your hand if you've ever found freedom. Now, if you're bold enough, says, say, who still needs some freedom? Right? 
Yeah, I've been set free from, th there's still some things. I'm going, God, you know, I would like to be free of this. And he is going to continue the work because the Bible says he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. He's not done with us, but he's setting us free because he is our deliverer. These are just a few of the things that Jesus came to do for us. But I want, I, it's important that we tie in this next part of the message. This is the oh bummer part. I didn't say Obama part. But when you think of Obama, you think of Obama too. You know what he did not come to do? He did not come to be the grantor of our wishes. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to give us what we want. Let's let it sink in for a minute. Because I think on a level, all of us at least at one time wanted King Jesus to come in in the way that we wanted and expected him to come in so he could be the king in an area of our life that we wanted him to be. Be the king of money, because I need some money. Be the king of getting my husband in shape, because he needs to get in shape. Shannon says that about me, but she's talking about the shape. Joyce says, honey, you need to get in shape. And I says, round is a shape. He didn't come to do what we want. He didn't come to be the grantor of our wishes. And a lot of the great multitude of people who were in Jerusalem, who were laying down the palm fronds, who were laying down their cloaks, had a thought in their head. And when he came in and within a couple days was crucified, they left. Because they didn't get what they wanted to get. He didn't come to be the grantor of our wishes. He came to do all these other things we talk about, and truly, that's what we want. We just don't know that that's what we want. We think we know what we want. This is the ultimate parent moment. All of us parents have said this to our kids, even when we swore as kids that we would never say it to our kids. You think you know what you want, but that's not what you want. I'm going to give you what you want. Psychology on parent level. This is what God does with us. He says, you think you know what you want, but that's not what you want. I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. I didn't come to grant your wishes. I came to give you life. I came to give you peace. I came to make you whole. But in order to get that, read John, go to John 12. right after his triumphal entry, right after this wonderful thing. He's coming. He's the king. We're going to finally get what we want, not what we deserve, because we don't deserve much, but we sure want a lot. And he says, there were, starting in verse 20, I'll go read this whole little passage. There were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Remember, Greeks, they weren't Jewish, they weren't part of this feast, and they were definitely on the outskirt, but they came up also, and there were some Greeks who had, who had subscribed to the way of Jewish life. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, We want to see Jesus. 
the king who just came, we want to see him. And Philip came and told Andrew, and then in turn Andrew and Philip went to Jesus. And I could see it going, the Greeks want to go to Jesus. I don't know what we should do. Let's go in strength because, you know, the Greeks don't really have a lot of run-ins there with the Jews. And Jesus said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Okay, Jesus. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Okay. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. What's he saying? You know what? You can have King Jesus. Do you want King Jesus this morning? He just came in and the Greek said, we want this King Jesus. We want to see him. And Jesus says, no problem. Three things. Die, follow, and serve. And many of us say, next. We don't want those answers. We want better answers. How about uh, be nice? No, die. You can have everything that King Jesus wants to give you as the king of this universe. You just have to die. Die to yourself. All those things you think you want, you just got to die to them. And say, I'm going to die. Dead men don't have a lot of desires. And you're going to follow Jesus. The real Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. And we're going to serve him. Die, follow, and serve. It's the cost of discipleship. It's the real Christianity. In Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. There's, I can't imagine life outside of Christ, but it's not always what I thought it was going to be, and it's not always what I want. But it's full of life, and it's full of peace, and it's full of hope, and it's full of joy in the Holy Ghost. And all we have to do is we have to come and die and follow Jesus and serve Him and stop serving ourselves. Let Him serve us. Because He says, I came. I came to serve too. We've got to get it right. Instead of demanding to be served, we become the servant. And then Jesus, He comes and serves us. And we go, I don't want that. I don't want that. Because we've got, the, we got it right. We're finally beginning to get it right. God, I don't deserve anything. You're my Savior. You're my healer. You're my deliverer. You're my hope. You're my peace. You're my life. And I'm going to go to be with you forever in heaven. And Jesus goes, now you're getting it. And I'm going to bless you also. The way I see is right for you. You know the word blessing in, in Hebrew is the same word for cursing? If I, if I understand this right, and if not, come and correct me later and help me get it. But I, the, the same word can be used for a curse or a blessing because it's basically a giving or a taking away. You go, well, what is that? how does that make sense? Because for God, we're walking in the blessings of God. Even when he takes things away, if he says, that's best for you, I'm going to take this away. But I really like that, God. That's okay. It's not good for you. My kids would eat ho-hos for breakfast, at least when they were young. 
if I let them do what they wanted to do, they would do horrible things. Just, really? There's a whole parenting thing going, oh, we just let them kids have whatever they want. Excuse me, you're an idiot. <laughs> and we're the same way. If we got whatever we wanted, I can't even say that about God, but He would be one. And He's not. He doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. He blesses us, and sometimes that's to take away something we think we need. Sometimes it's to add on. And all we have to do is come and die and follow and serve. He's not the, what can I get from the king? He's the, what can I give to a king? Where are you at this morning? We're all somewhere. Often in one part of our life, we're like, we can, you know, this is that moment we go, man, I'm, I feel really, I'm doing really good. You know, I've, yeah, but, you know, let's get real. And we go, you know, yeah, but there are some areas that I'm just over here. Wherever you're at, give it to God right now. Say, God, I want to die to that area. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I don't need, I, I think I do, but I don't really need anything else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we've celebrated you. We've honored you as King Jesus who comes. Lord, in our worship, we, we desire to throw our cloak, anything of value, down on the ground to let your donkey trample on it because everything that we have of value is really just nothing. But it might make a good carpet for you to walk on because you're the king. We honor you. Father, in this time in the Word, we thank you that you've showed in the Word that you've come to give us life and peace and hope and be our deliverer. But you didn't come to grant us our wishes. God, right now, move in this room. Deal with each of us as only you can. We, I'd speak and not let the enemy come in and have his way in condemnation but we invite conviction in the Holy Spirit. Show us what, what you would have, each of us, where we need to grow a step closer, where we need to surrender something, where we might need to die, where, where we're not following you, where we're not serving you. And then just empower us to give that over to you, to serve you. Father, I thank you that your whole desire is just for us to continue on this path of growing closer to you, to knowing you better to being changed by you. Father, you won't cast any of us. You will not cast any of us away as we are, if we're believers in you. Father, if there's anyone in here this morning, even as Corey even said it earlier, God, if there's anyone in here who's never called on you as to be their Lord and Savior, not just Savior, but Lord also, that right now they would trust you and, and they would say, God, forgive me of my sin for doing it my way. I want you to be the king of my life and I'll take whatever you have. Help us all to say that. Help us to know you and know what you have for us. Hear your voice. Father, we thank you for your love for us, which is amazing. God, now I pray that you would walk with us and encourage us. Father, don't let us leave and go, oh man, I just feel so bad about myself. 
but let us know that you love us so much that you tell us the truth so that we can get out of the muck and the mire, that we can be lifted up into the places that you have for us because you have made us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus and that you have a hope and a future for us, God. We thank you for the whole word of God and the whole counsel of God and the Holy Spirit to come and minister in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We'll see you on Friday, either at the movie or on the walk, hopefully, and otherwise on Easter. Being, being with other fellowship this week. Amen. What?